Oh man, it's been a great day already, but there is more to come. We're going to be in John chapter 19, if you want to meet me there in your Bible. But even after we open God's Word together, we're going to go out front. I'm sure you saw we have two more baptisms today that I am tempted to just skip whatever I wrote down to say and get out there for that because one of them is my baby girl. So I'm super, super pumped for that. You know, there's something special. Uh, we try really hard in our house because of my position as a pastor to not push too hard, but also to invite, right? And so there's something special when, you're, when your kids of their own volition uh, come and say, Daddy, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to my heart. And it's just like, that's all we need. It's all we need to make up for Daddy's deficiencies. So I love that. So I'm super excited for that. But today, I think it's no accident that we end up in the latter stages of John 19, on a day where we do baby dedication, on a day where we do baptisms, because those are the point of what Jesus came to do. We often major on the death instead of seeing through the death, right? If the death of Jesus is a light beam, what we ought to do is look at what the light of life Jesus was doing in dying. He was dying to bring life. We want to look at that today, but before we do that, I just... I think it's important for us to read through the text and feel the weight of what it was from the words of Scripture, what that scene was when Jesus was on the cross. To feel the words that He said as He hung on that torture device that so many of us wear around our necks and on our arms and To be reminded of what the goodness of God was on that first Good Friday. Because it was good. The outcome was good. But I want to read it together. And it's found in John chapter 19, beginning in verse 17. And I know I just told you to sit, but I'm going to ask you to stand. Just in honor of the reading of God's Word. And Jordan, I put these out of order on you, so I apologize. But we're going to jump, jump to the John 19 ones, and then we'll come back to the beginning ones. John chapter 19, verse 17. So if you were be reminded that Jesus has gone through the trial that we talked about last week. And now he's being handed over, and they have taken Jesus. Verse 17 says... And he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There, they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. There's something significant in that statement. Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription 
and put it on the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, he finally sticks up for himself. (laughs) What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did all these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the other disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head. And gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation. And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. For that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken. And that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first. And of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. What John is saying is he was standing there as an eyewitness recording for everyone who would follow that Jesus is who he said he is. Verse 36, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Question. 
How important is it that Jesus physically lived on this earth, physically was murdered, and then physically resurrected from the dead? In my estimation, and it is just mine, so take that with a grain of salt, this is the question. This is the question. And the question could be restated in this way. Does God act in history or not? Is there relevance to our story in the larger story of creation, fall, redemption, resurrection? Is there significance for you and I in this thousands of year old story that began even thousands of years before that. Every new generation of Christian wrestles afresh with these questions. Because think about it, history itself is constantly being rewritten. We're constantly looking at what those who have gone before us did and making adjustments. Some good, some bad. Some of those things we should have kept. But history is always being rewritten in light of what we know and discover and learn. So what what makes what we believe true and every other system false? It's an important question. And the answer, we would say, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what I'm saying is, it does matter that Jesus, we call this in theology, we call it the incarnation, that Jesus actually did come to earth, that he incarnated, that he joined us, that he lived among us, that he died on the cross, but that he rose to life. The resurrection is... The thing. But before Jesus could resurrect, right? That by necessity means he had to die. We return to the words of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We've been using this as a barometer as we've walked through this passion narrative. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Drop to verse 22 and he says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. American scientists seek answers. That's not in there. I added that. But you get my drift. 23, but we, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles and Americans, my addition. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, and all of us sitting in their wake today, Christ 
the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God stronger than men. An important question for me rises out of that text. And hopefully you'll see it too. Is this idea of being saved. Saved from what? And I would add, saved to what? Apparently, this is the central question in the event of the cross. Apparently, Jesus had to die. And that reason has been expressed traditionally and in our faith that Jesus died for our sins. And rather than unpack what the story is in John 19, I want to jump to somebody much smarter than me who unpacked that for us in Romans chapter 5 and then Romans chapter 8. And we'll just listen to what St. Paul the Apostle had to say instead of what Mitch has to say. Amen? It's a good place to say amen. (laughs) What does it mean to be saved from your sins? In Romans 5, Paul tells us exactly why Jesus gave his life. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jump to verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified, some translations will be said, would be said, would say, made righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And just as clarification, sin does make God angry. But he's not angry at you. He's angry at evil. He's angry at sin. It's important for us to think about that. Because his character shows that he does a whole lot for his people. He does a whole lot for humanity because of his love. Let's read what's actually there, right? We're justified by his blood. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more... Listen to this. Now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by here? This this is key. We've been singing it all morning. By his what? By his life. The resurrection of Jesus sets in motion all the things that we celebrate about our faith. But he had to die first so that he could rise. Next week, we're going to look all about the resurrection and it's going to be awesome. How much more shall we be saved by his life? Verse 11. More than that. There's more. Fabulous. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received 
reconciliation. You want to know why we sing so much around here? That's why. We've got no other tools in the belt than to just sing because of the goodness of God. But it is important here that we connect all of the dots that Paul does here in Romans 5 about the death of Jesus. In traditional Christian circles, we have stood on the doctrine that is called penal substitutionary atonement. In short, that we deserve to be punished for our sins and that Jesus goes to the cross in our place and receives that punishment for us. And that is happening here at the cross. John records Jesus declaring, it is finished. What is it, Paul told us, reconciliation, being made righteous, being made right with God. However, to stop there would leave us short of the full beauty of Jesus dying for us. God is not an angry guy in the sky who sees us immoral humans doing bad things and feels the need to punish all of us. He's not immature. Sin, remember we talked about, means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. The Greek word is hamartia. It means to sin. It means that we've what we've missed in our sin is not just a moralness. It is that, but it's more than that. From the beginning, the creation story, God has desired to live with His people and for them to pursue His purpose in the world of bearing His image and subduing the earth and living out our vocation as His image bearers on the earth. And by choosing our own path, we miss that mark. So let's say it what it is. What, what we are actually doing in sinning is missing the entire point entirely on what it means to be a human. It's not just some moral miss and God's angry about it. It's so much bigger than that. That God set in motion this beautiful creation and it is marred by sin and we have missed the mark of who we are as humans. This is why it matters. This is why Paul in Romans 5 says, how much more are we saved in the resurrection? Because he's setting in motion that renewal of all things. He's showing us that the kingdom of God actually is breaking into earth as it is in heaven. And that there is something not just to be saved from, there is that, but something to be saved to. Something to give your life Two, there is beauty there. We are reconciled back to God by Jesus' death, but we are reconciled back to something, our purpose in the world, our vocation as human beings made in God's image and likeness. And as N.T. Wright so helpfully tells this point, Jesus' death, releases the grip that sin and death have on our lives. Releases that grip. And in that sense, Jesus declares, it is finished. 
So married to our doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement is also Christus Victor. For a long time, theologians have chosen one or the other. And I just want to say that in Jesus, we can have our cake and eat it too. (laughs) We can be saved from something and saved to something. We don't have to pick. Jesus died for our sins, but he also reigns in victory over death by the power of his resurrection. This is good news. This is the gospel. And we will see the best picture of that right after church today in the baptismal pool. When we will quote the scripture that says we are raised to walk in newness of life. Powerful. In other words, Jesus has done what his law could not do. The law, and I realize I'm simplifying a lot of history here, but stick with me. (laughs) Jesus has done what the law could not do. The law is there to condemn us. It doesn't save us. We can't measure up to it, Romans 7. God's law is the mirror that tells us how much we need saving. You just look around at the world, you look inside your own heart, and it's obvious. But Jesus is our representative, condemns sin on the cross and sets us free from the law of sin and death. We drop down to Romans 8, verse 1, and here's what the scripture says. There is now, therefore, how much condemnation? Come on, church. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We're saved not just from something, but to something. There's life to be lived. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, listen to this key phrase, He condemned sin in the flesh. He's not mad at you. He's condemned sin in the flesh. And for those in Christ, there is no condemnation. Praise be to God. Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So much we could talk about. But what practical means does that have in your life? What does Jesus dying for your sins affect in your life? That salvation is not just a get us out of here and over there. Salvation is a we are here and God is here. It is all about renewal, a return to our purpose, a return to our vocation as image bearers in the world that God created. What does that look like? Just a little farther in Romans 8, verse 12, the scripture says this. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The NIV will say sons and daughters of God. I like that. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. 
Here it is. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And there lies much of the beauty of life with Jesus. J.I. Packer said it better than I can. He prophetically, not prophetically, poetically wrote these words. And I want them to just wash over your soul with Romans 8. Here's what he wrote. Justification. That being made righteous, being made right with God is the most important doctrine, perhaps. But adoption is the most precious. Adoption is the most precious. As much as we are saved from something, we are saved to something. Life with Jesus. Eternal life. Apprenticeship to Jesus. In the family of God, in the kingdom of God, as we join him in our vocation of being his image bearers who usher in his kingdom. This is why he taught us to pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And we only do this by the power of the Spirit of God working in us and through us. Can I get an amen in the church today? This is what we talk about. And I've only scratched the surface. We could go to the end of Romans 8 and just bask in the glory of Romans chapter 8. And I would encourage you to do that. But Jesus is Lord. And it was Him on that cross who stretched out His arms for you and me and said, It is finished. Reconciling us back to our relationship with Him and with the Father. And reconciling us back to our vocation, our purpose as His image bearers in the world. And He's inviting you to that. When we step outside in just a minute, and I'm going to have the band come up, we're going to sing just one more time. It's only, it's only appropriate that we sing, look to the sun one more time before we step outside. But in baptism, in Romans, we see again that we are buried with Him in baptism. But it is to be saved not just from something, but to something, right? We are raised with Him to walk in newness of life. So we're going to sing that, and then we're going to step outside to participate. In that, but let's sing this and then I'll come back up and give you a few instructions before we head out there.